You are now listening to episode 27 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costelli here today with multifamily investor and high-performance business coach Rod Cleef to discuss where he believes we are in the real estate market cycle, the psychology of success, and more. Rod is a passionate real estate investor who has personally owned and managed over 2,000 apartments and homes. As one of the country's top real estate business and peak performance luminaries, Rod has also built over 23 businesses in his 40-year business career, several which have been worth tens of millions of dollars. Before we jump right into today's episode, we want to remind you about our virtual workshops. They are not a webinar, but rather our virtual workshops are a highly interactive experience that puts you in a room with our tax strategists as well as fellow real estate investors. We will discuss a topic for the first 15 to 20 minutes and then open the room up for questions. This is the perfect opportunity to get answers to those real estate tax and accounting questions that you've been dying to ask, while at the same time discovering what other real estate investors are asking. You could sign up for our virtual workshops by visiting therealestatecpa.com backslash virtual dash workshop or by following the link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. So, Rod, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, could you give our listeners a little bit of a background on how you got started in the real estate space and how you got to where you are today? Sure, Thomas. I appreciate you and Brandon having me on the show. So, oh boy, let me just go back a little ways. Uh, I immigrated to this country when I was six years old. Uh, we ended up in Denver, Colorado. Uh, didn't have much money. Uh, in fact, you know, I wore clothes from the Goodwill and we ate expired food and, you know, my mom bought powdered milk because that's all we could afford. But my mom had a really strong work ethic and she babysat kids. So we'd have extra money, a lot of kids. And with her babysitting money, she bought the house across the street from us when I was 14 for around $30,000. When I was 17, she told me it had gone up $20,000 while she slept. So I said, I'm getting into real estate. So I got into real estate, didn't make any money my first year, maybe eight to 10 grand, second year around the same. But my third year, I made over $100,000. And you know, I say that because like on my podcast, I'll talk about the psychology of success and really in mindset. And that's really what made the difference between year two and year three. But if you fast forward to today, I've owned over 2000 houses, multiple apartment communities and apartment buildings in three states. And I've had uh, really incredible successes and I've had equally spectacular failures, which I call seminars. And I've had some flaming seminars. Uh, but uh, you know, I love real estate. I love talking real estate and I'm excited to dig in with you guys. Awesome. So it sounds like you've been through potentially a few market cycles and I know you mentioned 2008. Mm -hmm. um, where do you believe that we currently are today? Oh, we're without question at the top. In fact, I just interviewed a guy on my show that's got the 10th largest real estate company in the country, a Keller Williams franchise and a really sharp guy named David Osborne. And He's already seen a, a major slowdown in, uh, you know, sales in his, you know, with his 2,000 plus agents. So, you know, it could be starting already. So, you know, I think we're at the top of the market cycle. I mean, to give you some, a little bit of an interesting 
caveat, you know, in 2006, my net worth went up $17 million while I slept, just a little bit more than my mom's 20000 But the punchline is 2008. I lost it all in 2008. I lost about $50 million real money in that correction. So I'm very in tuned with uh, now with real estate corrections based on my own personal experiences. Yeah. So, so if you don't mind kind of going more into that, I think a lot of our listeners would love to hear about maybe sure. strategies, knowing that we're at the top now. Or, sure. Or you think that we're at the top now? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 conjecture for sure. I mean, who yeah. knows if I if right. I knew for sure, I'd be a billionaire and on the back of my yacht, right? Now. <laughs> right, but, exactly. But you know, I've been through enough of these cycles to recognize the signs, the the fervor, the excitement. In fact, in my opinion, the overpaying. But um, you know, I'll give you an example. On HGTV, I can do it, right? Right. That's it. I mean, that's it. it flip, 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 uh, flip like crazy. All so, in fact, I just talked to I just talked to a coaching client that's doing a flip in LA, and I will tell you, if you're listening and you're a flipper, I would be very cautious of the high dollar ones right now. Those are the you know when the music stops, those are the people that typically get hurt first. If you're in the moderately priced stuff that'll sell FHA and VA, no worries. But, uh, you know, let me give you an example of, of some of the market cycles I've been through. In the late 80s, I used to buy houses and I, would, I didn't really flip them. I'd fix them up and maybe I'd sell them after a year or two. But I bought this house, paid, I think, 57000 for it, sold it for 75000 a year or two later. Well, that, the market crashed in the late 80s. I bought that same house back for 18000 <laughs> Then exact same house. And then I ultimately sold it, I don't know, a few years later for 160. So that's, you know, talk about a market cycle. Uh, but, you know, my real estate here in Florida, I was at a 30% loan to value. So I didn't owe more than 30 cents on every dollar. And I went upside down. That's how much it crashed here. That's, that's crazy. So, so going through that mm-hmm. and feeling that we're at the top now, what are you doing or What steps do you recommend that investors take to insulate themselves from some sort of potential pullback? Well, I wrote a book on this on this very topic because of what happened to me. It's uh, called How to Create Lifetime Cash Flow Through Multifamily Properties. But the subtitle is The New Rules of Real Estate Investing. The new rules being focus on cash flow. Value is out the window. Value is irrelevant. You know, when I made $17 million on paper in 2006, I got a big head and I thought I was a real estate god. And, you know, whenever that happens, God of the universe gives you a smackdown. And that was 2008 for me. But I'm going to tell you that the key here is to focus on cash flow and be sure you're stress testing your deals. If you're in the multifamily space or even in a single family space, if you're buying to hold long term, make sure that you're stress testing your deals looking at what'll happen if you have high vacancies, looking at what'll happen if your rents contract and making sure you can weather that storm. And by the way, if your listeners are interested, my book's like a textbook for multifamily investing. I'll give it to them for free. They can just text my name, Rod, to 41411 and get a free copy. It's 200 pages and it's no fluff. It's an awesome, awesome book. But yeah, that's that's the thing I would tell them. And, and that's what I say in the book is, you know, my eye was on the value ball instead of the cash flow ball. And you know, the reason that I crashed and burned, people ask me that a lot because I was at such a low loan to value. So let me tell you why it happened. So I had 800 houses. I had multiple apartment complexes, but my houses were two hours north of me and two hours south of me and everywhere in between. So that, and I'll tell you why that's a big deal, but also Florida has very high taxes and very high insurance. Okay. So, you know, you got wind insurance, you got flood insurance because we're along the coast and, you know, we have hurricanes. And those two things coupled with the logistics of my portfolio, for example, if you've got an apartment complex, 
you can stockpile parts. You stockpile your plumbing parts, HVAC parts, appliance parts, all that stuff. So you can go there and do a maintenance job in, in a very short amount of time. Well, if you've got a house and say, I've got maintenance guys, they got to drive an hour to get to the house and they have to assess what's wrong. Then they got to find a Home Depot or a Lowe's. That could be a half hour away. They go buy parts. They come back. They work on it. Then they discover as you, very often you dig into something, you need more parts. They have to go back again. And what could take 30 to 45 minutes at an apartment complex ends up taking all day. And you magnify that times 800. And that's what happened to me. And But I thought, you know, real estate, I thought 80 million baby boomers getting old and getting cold. Florida was recession proof. Okay, well, <laughs> oh, was I wrong? Anyway, so that's the bottom line. And that's why I imploded. It's, a, you know, it just didn't quite cash flow. I had to sell a house occasionally or refinance a house occasionally. And, you know, I thought the gravy train would last forever. But uh, yeah, that's my message to people is to focus on cash flow. I agree with that too. I mean, I, we have clients that invest strictly for appreciation. We have clients that invest strictly for cash flow and some get better numbers than others. But I do agree with you that the ones investing for cash flow have insulated themselves more so than the others or people that are utilizing other strategies. But like, let's kind of touch on that. So you had, you had 800 units, you had, you had these big apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, wouldn't you say that you were... Well, my apartments did fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah, through That's the what cash, I to my apartments did fine. I okay. mean, my the problem is I had cross collateralized them. So you know, I had I had houses with apartments in in the same loans, and that's why the whole thing imploded for me. Otherwise, I'd still have those apartments. Hmm. But um, no, and, and that's that's the message is that you know if you're gonna buy and hold, unless the houses are very close together, so you you know if you're in the same town, fine, you'll do it fine. If they were all right here in Sarasota, I would have probably been just fine. The problem is I was all the way north of Tampa and all the way almost to Naples. If you, you don't get Florida. the economies of scale. Oh, you, you, well, you, yeah. it's the travel that kills yeah. you. It's the logistics of that that kills you. But still, I'm of the mind that if you're going to buy property to hold long term, for God's sakes, do multifamily. Don't do single family. It's just so much easier. You have economies of scale. You can just get further, faster, bigger, faster. And, frank, and I frankly think it's safer based what, what, on my own experience. What class asset were these apartments? The apartments were well, B minus C. The houses were C minus. The houses were small. And, and that was part of the problem as well. A lot of turnover. And, and, you know, here in Florida, I had a lot of, you know, people in the construction industry and things like that, which got decimated, obviously, in 2008. Yeah. So. so to insulate from, a, from any sort of pullback, from any sort of recession, you sure. invest for cash flow. And am I hearing aim for the C to B class properties? Is there a reason that you're saying C to B or is that just- Well, no, I, I'm, I, that, was my, that was my portfolio. I now invest in C and B. That's all we look at. Uh, I mean, we fell into a 100 unit A property, but that was just by luck up in Ohio recently. But, uh, but I, I, we target C and B. And there's a reason for that as well. There's always going to be a need for workforce housing. And so- you know, that's there. Now, there's a caveat there because they're overbuilding in a lot of markets and A-class properties are going to likely pull some of the B renters because they'll have to lower their prices if the market softens and, and they'll attract some of those B renters. So, you've got to manage, you know, you've got to be looking at the absorption of tenants in your marketplace, looking at, you know, is it being overbuilt? Is that, could that be a, an issue? But, uh, you know, I, I mean, in general, Multifamily seems to weather a storm fairly well as long as as long as you you know you stress test. Bottom line, you've got to you've got to, and even in single family, you know you've got to look at your rents and what happens if the rents pull back. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what happens if uh, you're vacant for a few months? I mean, are you going to be okay? And it's not rocket science, but you have to do it. And everybody's so caught up in this irrational exuberance right now. And this is the same thing that happened in 06 and 07, exactly the same. You know, there's going to be some pain when the music stops. There always is. Um, and now, will it be as bad as 08? I pray to God it isn't, and I doubt that it will be. But uh, And it may, it, we still may have a couple of years left. You know, who knows? You know, Trump's... Well, that's what I'm telling people, too. It's like, yeah. you know, we, we, we all know, we all feel that we're at a top. We work with a lot of different real estate investors. They're, we work with the GPs on syndicates. We work with GPs in real estate funds. We work with people that are flipping, developing. And profit margins across the board have gone down. Sure. Especially if you're out in the California area. You, you reference California. We're seeing the same thing. So we all over the oh, listen all over the country, Brandon. Right, right. You know, it, to find a deal right now is much much harder, and you have to sharpen your pencil and yeah. a lot of competition. And and again, these are all signs of a of a market top. This is you know I, I've been through three of these now, and it's the same signs every time. I just mm-hmm. wasn't paying attention on the last one. But the only thing that makes me feel better is there are countries that went bankrupt in the last one. So you know what, smart people a lot smarter than me. So. <laughs> Yeah. The question that I struggle with, though, is is how close are we actually to that top, right? Like, it could be years. You know, it, could, I mean, it could be. It could be. The economy's you been propped up on this. Trump, Trump, Trump's been, yeah, Trump's been doing yeah. some stuff that's been helping and, and love him or hate him. Uh, you know, the economy's humming along, but right. they're raising the rates. The feds are are making him mad and raising the rates, but I think it's smart. And, and it is that, you know, I think the cool down is, is, is smart because we yeah. were so low. I mean, I remember when 7% was fantastic. It was like, I was doing backflips if I got 7%, you know, <laughs> and I, I mean, my home here, I'm at three and a quarter percent. I mean, it's just staggering, you know, what was available for a long time. So it just had to go back up and, you know, that's just the way it works. So kind of along these same lines, we have a lot of new investors and a lot of really sophisticated, experienced investors that listen to our show. They all make mistakes. What is a mistake that you pretty much consistently see across maybe all spectrums, maybe not just the new guys, but maybe anybody and anything like that? that there are a lot of mistakes being made right now, Brandon. And the mistakes are people are not stress testing deals. I mean, we um, give LOIs on numerous deals. We've got 10 deals working right now. And we put an LO in an, on a deal, LOI in on a deal, and it's tight. I mean, it's like, okay, this is all we can pay. And then it sells for a huge amount more than we had an LOI in on. And we're like, oh, good God, unless these people have no cost of funds, it's a train wreck waiting to happen. And so people are overpaying right now. It's bottom line. And there are a lot of syndicators out there right now. I have them on my show all the time, syndicators that have thousands of units. And it's kind of interesting that you can tell, you know, if somebody's got a thousand units or more, I can tell they've, you know, they started in 09, 10 or 11 after the crash. And so a lot of these guys have never gone through it. And of course, you know, like I did, they get a big head and they think, you know, they can do anything and then the music stops. And so you know, that's my fear. I mean, it's not a fear, really. It'll be an incredible opportunity because those properties will come back. But, you know, with crisis comes opportunity. This contraction shouldn't be something anybody listening should fear. It's an opportunity, bottom line. Uh, there will be more money made when that happens than the run up to it. So, yeah, I, I got to admit that I'm, I'm you know, kind of waiting for Right. And we're telling telling our investors, keep the powder dry, you know, preparing them because when it happens, there's a lot of fear. And investors get fearful. Oh, my God, real estate's doing so bad. Well, that's the time. 
that's the time you want to get in. That's not the time to be fearful. You know, you, that the contrarians are the ones that massively, exponentially capitalize on it when it happens. I guess it wouldn't be too far-fetched to say that a good strategy would maybe be to, to liquidate some of a portfolio maybe that has a lot, large Being capital cash. Pain. Being cash, cash. Right? yeah, cash is king when a contraction happens because financing's hard to get. And if you've got cash, is absolutely king, no question. So that's always a good strategy. Well, if anybody wants to buy a three-unit property in Baltimore, I'm selling mine. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been I've been trying to sell it for about a month now. I think I've yeah. probably missed that key buying season by like a, just a well, we're month. heading into the slow time, but yeah. it'll pick up again yeah. hopefully after the but first. Anyway, time. I, I'm agreeing. I'm seeing a lot of the same thing you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah. Right. If we could shift gears just a little bit, I know that you're big into the psychology of success. Um, what would be your top tips for creating a high performance mindset and building high performance habits? Well, I thought you'd never ask because that's my favorite topic to talk about. You know, I talked about how I made 10 grand my second year in real estate, which was 1980, and I made over 100,000 in 81. The difference was mindset and psychology. How did I come back? I mean, how did I come back to the lifestyle that I have right now? losing $50 million. Some people don't recover from that by focusing on what I want and why I want it. Now, if you'd like, I'm happy to take literally two minutes and talk about this process that I take my coaching students through to align their goals and their values so that they know, so they have a target. You want me to take a second and do that? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, here's what you do if you're listening. Pick an hour when you are uninterrupted and you're high energy. Don't do it right after a meal. Pick a time when you have a lot of energy and you won't be interrupted and sit down and write down everything you could ever possibly want in life. Of course, all the stuff, the boats, the cars, the jet skis, the planes, the watches, and on and on and on, all the stuff. But also, you know, write down how much money you want in the bank, write down, you know, how much cash flow you want a month from your investments, you know, all of those things. But take it a little further. Also, write down everything you want to learn. So, me, I want to learn how to fly helicopters. In fact, I just had a pilot here the last couple of days talking to me about that. I want to learn how to play the drums. You know, what do you want to learn? But also write down who you want to help. So, you know, me, I bought my parents a house. I took them on a cruise. I've got a foundation. You know, what do you want to stand for? It's not just the stuff. It's everything you want to do, be, or have. So, write down. And those of you that are analytical, I know there's a lot of you listening to this show don't analyze it. Just write it down. You can scratch it out later. Don't stop writing to think about it. Just keep writing, writing everything you can possibly think of. Imagine that if you write it down, you're going to get it. And I'm going to tell you that is not outside the realm of reality because what it does when you write it down is it triggers something called your reticular activating system. And that's that filter that filters out everything that's coming to your brain all the time. Like right now, if you're listening to me, you're not thinking about how your feet feel. But I'd mention it. You can think about how your feet feel. That's your reticular activating system. In fact, a great example is when you first buy a car. You never really notice them. And then when you buy it, you see them everywhere. And they were there before. You just didn't notice them. So writing it down triggers that and gets that process started. So once you can't think of another thing, then it's not real or measurable until, I'm sorry, it's not real until it is measurable. So you got to put a timeline on each goal. So put how many years it's going to take you to achieve each goal, just a number, one, three, five, 10, or 20. Remembering that as human beings, we will overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and massively underestimate what we can do in a decade. So put a timeline on each goal. There's just a couple more steps. Now, once you've got a number on each goal, pick your number one goal, the juiciest one. And if there's two or three that are equally exciting, just pick one. It won't matter. Write it on a separate sheet of paper. Then pick your top three one-year goals and put those on a separate sheet of paper. So you've got four goals on a separate sheet of paper. 
then sit down and write down why each one of those goals is an absolute must, okay? Because it's the why that drives you. It's never the goal itself. So write down why it's a must so that I can show my wife what success looks like so that we can do whatever we want, wherever we want, whenever we want, with whoever we want, whatever it is for you. So I can show my family what success looks like. Whatever it is, write that down. Use emotionally charged words because words are very powerful. So use words like incredible and massive and amazing and things like that because they'll juice you. But take it one little step further. Put some pain in there too that if you don't achieve those goals, what's going to happen? So I don't feel like a failure. So I don't live a life of regret. So I don't feel like I failed my spouse. Whatever it is, make it painful because we will do more to avoid pain than gain pleasure as human beings. So put some pain in there because again, this is the fuel. This is the leverage that will push you. And then one last thing, get pictures of your goals. To give you some examples of why this is a big deal. When I turned 18, I got my real estate license and, and that was a year I made like eight, eight or nine grand. And I got a Ford four-door Granada silver, ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life. But I figured you had to have a four door to sell real estate so you could show houses, people could get in and out easy and all that. Well, the person I was working with, a broker, had a Corvette. He let me drive it. Now, that's a key clue. That experiential component is important. So, if you want a car, go drive it. If you want a house, go visit it on an open house. If you want something, experience it. But anyway, so I drove that Corvette within a year. Oh, and I took a picture out of a magazine. This is before you could spell internet. And I put that picture on the visor of my four-door Granada of a, of a Corvette, picture of a Corvette. Within a year, I had one. I'll give you a couple more examples, but please know that this is not me bragging because these things that I'm going to share with you, they don't even interest me anymore. Um, this was the time when there was a TV show called Magnum P.I., and the actor's name was Tom Selleck, and he drove this Ferrari 308, this gorgeous red Ferrari. And again, this is pre-internet. So I got a picture of that actual Ferrari, and I put it on the visor of my Corvette. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen was that Ferrari. Within two years, I had a Maserati look just like it. My last example, I'll give you one more car example, was I always wanted a Lamborghini. I'm the guy that had the posters on his wall with the bikini girls and, you know, washing and the soap. And yeah, that was me. I had the, that was, But... What's astounding is my son collected exotic models of cars, and I told him I was thinking about getting one, and he drove me crazy. And he told me he used to lay in bed visualizing me, me bringing him to school in it. But he had models of these cars, and he has a model of the exact color and style that I ended up getting, which I ultimately wrecked. But pictures work. In fact, I'll show you guys. You know, I know you're doing this on iTunes, but in, I've got a planner here that for those of you that are looking on YouTube, I've got a planner. In the back of this thing, I use a paper planner. Yes, I'm a dinosaur. But in the back of this thing, I've got pictures I've had in here for 20 years. Okay, the first pictures are my gratitude pictures, my children when they were very young. But then, then they're the things that I want. By the way, everything starts from a place of gratitude. So make sure you've got pictures, you know, make sure you incorporate gratitude into this process. But then I've got pictures of the houses that I wanted that I got, okay? Picture, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of watches, the Lamborghini, uh, Lamborghini before I ever got it, the Rolls Royce, all this stuff that I got because I had pictures. Again, this stuff doesn't interest me anymore, but I just want to show you the value of this because I know if you're analytical, if we haven't lost you already, you're probably going, oh boy, this is, <laughs> who's, who'd they get on his show today? But I'm, just, <laughs> I'm telling you that this stuff works, okay? I've got pictures on the wall here in my office of the stuff that I want now. And ignore what I'm saying at your peril, my friends, because, because you've got to have the fuel to actually take action. So many people get caught in comfort or fear and they never pull the trigger on this. I, I do three-day live events and I spend a lot of time on this because 
you know, the sad reality is 90% of the people that take a course or go to an event never do anything with it because they're afraid or they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. and, and I tell people, the life you want is on the other side of that fear and that comfort. So you, so you, but you got to know what it is you want. And you got to know why you want it. That's, those are the critical pieces. I think a lot of our listeners will enjoy that. That was really good. And, and about halfway through there, you, you touched on something that really resonated with me. And that was, why are you doing it, right? So you're writing down your goals and you're, you're asking, why am I doing this? You talked about a fear aspect too, which was also neat and I hadn't considered in, in the past. But I, I've started to do the, why am I doing this as well? Because I write my goals down. I have them in Evernote and I've, already, I've always got them pulled up on my screen. I think Thomas does the same thing. I used to frame my goals and all that stuff. But it wasn't until really recently that I really started asking, why am I actually doing this? And Thomas can probably attest to this. I recently posed the question to my entire team, why do we exist as a business? So I think it's important oh, too, to great not, only, great yeah, not only do this on a personal level too, but on a business Bring level. Bring your team in, have yeah. them do their goals. I mean, when you align together like that, my God, magic happens, Brandon. I right, mean, that's right. awesome. You know, I, as I've gone through it, so I started the business to make money, right? I wanted a lot of things that you were saying. And then I realized, you know, once you get to a certain point, the money becomes less motivating. I, I wasn't jumping up out of bed at 6 a.m. every morning, ready to crush the day. But when you start to kind of really think about why you're doing something, that's the longer term motivation. And something that I realized is that revenue and profits are important. It's kind of like oxygen and food, right? You need oxygen and food to live. So you need revenue and profits to, to build a business and to grow, but it's not the end goal, right? So the revenue and profits get you so far, but to really continue growing and scaling and doing the things you want to do, you have to have a better, more concrete why. And, that, and that's why I pulled my whole team in. I was like, guys, why do we exist as a business? What is the purpose that we're here aside from trying to make money? I mean, obviously, we don't just want to say that our purpose is to prepare tax returns and you know, do bookkeeping. Like, what are we trying to do as a firm? And it was a really cool conversation. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's really smart of you to do that and to enroll them in that process because, you know, you can come up with some really cool stuff. We help people save money. We help people build a future. We help families create a legacy. You know, it can be all those answers to that question for your team. And when you enroll your team like that, then they're behind it. Love it. I want to ask one, I want to add one last little caveat here to this goal setting thing I mentioned because I just realized I forgot. So I'll give you one more goal, the big one that I always wanted. I wanted a house on the beach and I lived in Denver and there's no beach in Denver. And <laughs> after, but I used to visualize it. I used to think about the palm trees and, you know, Denver has snow on occasion and I got tired of the snow and, and I knew I wanted to live. So I, I ultimately built this mansion out on the beach and it's, you know, 10,000 square feet. I had the beach on one side. It was called a Gulf to base on the backside. I had my boat lifts and my boat houses just magnificent home that I've worked for for 20 years, okay? It was a goal for 20 years. And there's, I'm going to bring it home in a second, but there's two reasons I'm telling you this. And about two months after I built it, I'm floating in, this, in my pool in the backyard. My family's sleeping. And I'm looking up at this thing, this thing that I'd worked for my whole life. It's three stories. The pool is changing colors because it had fiber optic lighting. There's a waterfall coming from the second floor balcony into the pool. I mean, this home is magnificent. Okay. Sounds and amazing. <laughs> oh, it, it was beyond. I mean, I could go on and on. I had $150,000 fish tanks. I mean, I could go on and You're on elevators to think it up, right? I mean, yeah, well, I did. And it was everything that I wanted, but, but there's a punchline. So I'm floating in this pool about two months after I finished the house and I got depressed. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? How could I be depressed? I worked on this thing for 20 years. I've achieved a success people dream about, and I'm depressed. And what I didn't realize at the time was two things. 
One is you should never achieve a goal without a big one, without having other goals lined up. Because like the good book says, without a vision that people perish, you have to have a vision for the future. And I didn't have a vision. It's like, what do I do now? So that was one. But the second thing that's equally as important is there's a big difference between being successful and being fulfilled. In fact, Tony Robbins calls it the science of achievement versus the art of fulfillment. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was totally focused on Rod. I was focused on success, success, no matter what. And, you know, I had to prove to the world I was good enough. That was, that's what drove me. And I'm being completely open and vulnerable here. It was to prove to the world I was good enough. But it was all focused on me, 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 me. And so I went and saw Tony actually that year. I've spent 20 years following Tony around the planet. Hi, a big shout out to him. If you ever have an opportunity to see him live while he's still speaking, just do it. But I found out he fed families for the holidays. And I was really inspired by that. And so, by the way, fulfillment means to give back in some way. I mean, if you really want to feel fulfilled, you need to give back in some way. And so I decided to feed five families. This was like uh, 99 or 2000. And the third family changed my life. We got these big baskets of food and we fed them for, for, this was for Thanksgiving. We now do it for Christmas, but we've got big baskets of food. We got turkeys. And um, I went up to this house, this third family that we brought the food to that, you know, this impoverished family. And this lady came out and she saw the food and started crying. Her kids came out, they started crying. I started crying and I was hooked. And I will tell you, I'm now blessed to say we've fed over 60,000 children here in Sarasota and Bradenton over the holidays. We've done over 10,000 backpacks filled with school supplies, done thousands of teddy bears to give to local police departments for their officers to keep in their cars when they encounter a child that's been traumatized. And it's been my greatest gift and it's given me fulfillment. So I want to encourage your listeners, those of you that I know you want success, if you're listening to these guys, I know you want it, you deserve it, but success without that component is not success. You know, I've got a podcast, Lifetime Cashflow, I hope you'll check it out, but on that show, I've interviewed billionaires and mega millionaires that, that frankly are hugely successful, but they're right where I was and they're not fulfilled and they're right. not happy because they're focused on themselves. Mm -hmm. So incorporate giving back in some fashion. That's the message I want to give. And one other thing to what you just said about your team. The goals themselves will not make you happy. They will make you feel good for a short while. I mean, that was my lifelong goal. And after two months, it didn't matter anymore. Progress equals happiness. You have to be growing and progressing to stay happy. So there is no, I mean, you need the goals. They're going to drive you. But realize that that's not going to equate to happiness long term. It's that continual growth and continual improvement and continual progress that equals happiness. So I'm sure some of our listeners at this point are probably like, why are we talking about this on a tax and accounting podcast? And we'll get back to the tax accounting in a second. But I think that this is really important because even as CPAs, we, we do a ton of tax strategy with clients. We help them build wealth. We have had, I don't even know how many clients, right? We have had a lot of clients get to the point where they can leave their W-2 jobs and retire on the cash flow that they've built for themselves. And when that happens, it's like three months later that they are restless and they're trying to figure out what to do at that point. And we we find ourselves almost playing like therapist. Right? No kidding. Okay, wow. Mr. Client, you called us for taxes. But what's really going on here is you don't feel like you have a purpose anymore because you've achieved your goal. So let's talk about that instead. We've had clients walk out saying, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I, you guys are like an actual partner. You're not just this tax guy that I go to to get my returns filed. That's so awesome. that, that's, I'm glad that we've talked about all this. Well, okay, and, and those of you listening, I know there are some of you listening that have not taken action on your goals. You're analytical, so you're in analysis paralysis, but you haven't taken action. 
So use that, the goals and the whys to drive you and to push you and, and to get you up when you get knocked down because you're going to have inevitable setbacks for sure. But that's awesome that, uh, because, you know, the same thing that you said, you know, when somebody retires from anything, in fact, a lot of people die when that happens, believe it or not. It's kind of crazy. Uh, you need a future. You need a vision for the future. You need to keep progressing. So what we see is people will retire. They'll live on the cash flow. They'll travel around the world for like a year or two. And they'll be like, okay, well, that was what I was trying to do for my, that was my 20 year goal. Now what? Right. Now what do I do? Now, now it's like, well, we as CPAs still want to be relevant, obviously. <laughs> so, so we're like, hey, let's actually identify the real thing here. Oh, well, you know, I'm a purpose. So, so let's go do something with this. And you know, it's not, not, not a W2 job, but you know, do something like what you're saying. Let's go. Now, just give back, you know, just give back, just do yeah. something. And, and those of you listening, you don't have to do anything as grandiose as I did. I mean, just help an elderly person, help a family, adopt a family, buy the person behind you, you know, their, pay their toll or buy them a Starbucks or do something because I'm just going to tell you, whatever you give, you get back. Be it money, your time, love, happiness. If you want love or happiness, give love and happiness. Whatever you give, you get back. So, you know, but, you know, those of you that want success, and I know if you're listening to these two guys, you do, make sure you incorporate that piece in some fashion because that's a life of meaning. That's a life you want to live. It's not just about the money, my friends. Before we just shift gears real quick into a few counting questions, just want to say that uh, everything you guys just talked about, 100% true. Um, you'd be surprised you write your goals down and how quickly, if you review them, you have the pictures, how quickly you can achieve them. But just like you said, when you hit that goal, you need to have the next goal because I always felt it's the process of achieving that goal is actually the fulfilling part. Yes, it's the progress. It's the growth. No question. I'll tell you a funny aside. I'm in my compound here in Florida now. I have six buildings, incredible. Looked out over the, over the bay, guest house, media center, conference center, you know, huge house. And because God's got a sense of humor, I can see my old mansion across the bay there and uh, out my backyard. <laughs> but, but it was, it was, you know, I could have paralyzed, but I'm back because I focused on what I wanted and why I wanted it. And that's the message here, guys. Make sure you know why it is you're doing what you're doing. And it's so awesome that you brought your team in on that, Brendan. And, and the why is so critical because that's what's going to drive you. So that is all amazing stuff, but we are an accounting firm and we do have to go over some accounting questions, some of the boring stuff. So how do you handle uh, your accounting and bookkeeping for your properties and, and your businesses overall? Well, I would just tell you that, tell those of you listening, make sure that you are aligned with an accountant that understands real estate, an accountant that understands uh, ideally owns real estate, uh, an accountant that understands cost segregation, saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, accelerated depreciation. That's what cost segregation is. I'm sure you guys have talked about it on the show. But, you know, I've aligned myself with someone like that. And of course, I've got in-house bookkeepers. And, but, but you've got to have a good accounting team, uh, have a good engineer to do the initial part of the cost segregation if you're going to do that. But, you know, keep your books separate. I mean, I could go, I'm sure I could go on and on about things that you guys have said on the show numerous times, but that's the bottom line is to make sure that someone on your team knows real estate accounting. And the other piece is, you know, and even this is, this is me looking in the mirror, you've got to do more tax planning. Don't be reactive. Most CPAs are reactive. You need to be proactive and, and determine how you can maximize each year. Make sure you're taking all your deductions. And, and you know, there's so many 
cutting edge, well, they're really not cutting edge, but very few CPAs even know about, you know, some of the deductions that are available that I know you guys do and people just don't take because they're unaware of them. The fact that, you know, you can have a, a C-Corp and, and I forgot what it's called, but you can pay your health insurance and it can pay all your health bills and all those things and things of that nature that, you know, that a lot of CPAs just won't tell somebody. So, the thing I would say is be proactive and, you know, that will uh, make you a lot of money and by saving you a lot of money. That C-Corp strategy is, uh, I believe, called captive entities, if anybody's interested in looking mm-hmm. that up at some point. Um, real quick question for you, Rod. So with the accounting sides, we, we, we've interviewed a lot of a lot of syndicators who pretty much say the same thing. It's get an accounting team and just get rid of it, offload it. And, you know, a constant point that we try to consistently hit on is the trust that that builds with your investors. So if you're trying to raise capital and you don't have an accounting team in place, how much trust are you potentially losing with those investors that you're trying to raise capital from? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you, 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 I mean, listen, if you're syndicating properties, you're going to want an accountant to help you create your pro formas in most cases to, to lay it all out, to calculate all the benefits from a particular deal that you're considering. But, um, you know, you, it, it's a critical component on the team without question. It's, it's, important, it's as important as a real estate broker. It's as important as a property manager. You've got to have a great CPA on your team. We have to agree with that. Um, well, yeah, it's a little self-serving, but yes, you guys do have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here, here's a question for you, Rod. We, we were at an event a while ago, and there was this syndicate there, this this fun guy there, manager there, and he was trying to answer questions around the tax aspects and the accounting aspects of his fund. So investors were peppering him with tax and accounting aspects of his fund. At what point do you say, I'm actually going to have my CPA fly into the event and answer the questions for you? At what point does that just become a cost of doing business? Well, I'm going to tell you that uh, luckily I've got a CPA on my team and everyone should have a Robert. I have a Robert and he's a CPA. And so when there's a question that pops up that's tax related, I absolutely defer to him. But, you know, most people don't have that luxury. So you need to have, you know, that component on your team and you need to understand your deal well enough so you can explain most tax related questions away. But there, I will tell you, even the most seasoned syndicators will have things that's, that stymie them and that, you know, we're like, oh crap, I, I don't even know how to answer that. And they should say, I don't know how to answer that, but I will find out for you. And then they call you guys, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, Brad, um, when it comes to technology, uh, what would you say is your favorite piece of technology you are using currently in your business? I can't even spell technology. Okay. So, so you, you know, you're asking the wrong guy that one. I, I, I don't even know how to effectively use my iPhone. Now, my wife, if, if, she, if she was here, I would have her tell you how to use this. But, you know, I thank well, we you. got you on Zoom, right? I, mean, got, I, I do know how to use Zoom. I use Zoom on my podcast as well. And that, thank God. But I have an AV team that helps me with that too. And, you know, like Henry Ford, they used to say he was dumb, but he had a phone on his desk and he could call and ask a question for anything he needed. Not that I'm going to compare myself to Henry Ford, but, you know, that's kind of how I roll as well. So, you know, as far as tech, you know, we love Zoom. We use Asana and Slack. We just started wow. using that. We love it, Slack especially, because it eliminates a lot of the inner office emails. And so that's happening right now. What else? We were using Microsoft Teams, but, but we're going to use Slack and Asana now. So we're... Yeah, we love Slack. We've actually yeah. gotten our clients, so the, the clients like you that are running these syndications and funds, we put them on Slack. Oh, that's and good. we say, this is how you're going to communicate with us rather than go through emails. 
way more effective. Oh, yeah, yeah. Much it. more efficient, more productive Amazing. for sure. Amazing. Yeah. So before we wrap up, if our listeners wanted to contact you, what would be the best way to do that? Well, listen, guys, obviously I've got my podcast. We're at four and a half million downloads. So I'm doing something right. If you're interested in multifamily real estate, I hope you'll check it out. It's called Lifetime Cash Flow. I also have a Facebook group that's got 21,000 people in it. They can go to multifamilycommunity.com and it's a direct link to that Facebook group. You know, you are the five people you hang around with and you want to be around people that want more, that want to grow, that want to, you know, build a life. And so that's a great place to look for those people. But uh, my website has got a ton of, my book, my book is free. It's 200 pages. It's no fluff. And like most people that give stuff away, this thing is like a textbook. And just text Rod to 41411 and I'll give you a free copy of that. But my website uh, has a ton of free stuff on it. Rodcleaf.com, you know, videos, a couple other books that I wrote that are free, uh, a lot of articles that I either write or I curate. And it's just incredible resource for anybody for real estate related and frankly, psychology success related. And on my podcast, I don't just do interviews with hitters. Every week I do a segment on the psychology of success, which you know, it's only five minutes, but it doesn't matter if you're not into real estate, you'll enjoy those. But my website is rodcleef.com, K-H-L-E-I-F as in frank.com. And I'm, I do a live event every quarter. I don't know when this will air, but uh, I've got one coming up in Tampa, November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And then January, I'm sorry, Atlanta's in November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Tampa's January 18th, 19th, and 20th. And uh, three days of me on stage, grinding it out, teaching you how to buy multifamily. So if anybody's interested in that, I'd love to see you there. You'll be glad you came. And that's multifamilybootcamp.com. That wasn't enough resources, enough uh, websites there. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, we definitely appreciate you coming to the show. A lot of the stuff that you said was amazing, kind of inspired me to go back, review my goals, kind of ask myself why I'm doing kind of what I'm doing. And awesome. um, I'm awesome. sure it's definitely going to provide a ton of value to our audience. And uh, thanks again for coming on. My pleasure, guys. Go get them. It's a pleasure to meet you guys. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.